0: Welcome to ThoughtSpeak, the original Animorphs podcast dedicated to K.A. Applegate's sci-fi classic. I'm your host, Michelle.
1: And I'm Coleman.
0: And tonight we are bringing you a very, I don't know if I'd want to call it special book, but uh, one that we recently read and read and read and read a couple of times, I think, uh, in both of our experiences uh we had to read this thing a couple of times we'll talk a little bit about why that was the case but yeah tonight we are talking uh animorphs number 47 the resistance
1: yeah it's a, uh, it's it is special i think it is different but i would like to point out real quick that this is our first foray back into reviewing and talking about an actual animorphs book not that the graphic novel is not animorphs book but we're back into the original series first time and like Five years, four years, something like that?
0: Oh heck yeah. It's been a little bit of a time gap, uh not counting our most previous episode, which you should absolutely go listen to if you haven't heard it yet. We got the author of the new graphic novel uh on the show to talk about that. And it was a wonderful reunion and a return to form for us and ThoughtSpeak all together. Uh, the World Celebrated, I'm sure. And if you haven't heard it, go go listen to that There were one. parades.
1: But they dedicated the, the day to us. It was amazing. You should have been there. Can't believe you didn't hear about it.
0: Yes. It, it was uh, worth uh, an earth-shattering event. Sure. Um, so this this episode, though, is going to be really cool because it's, it's going to be a new book and a new story to talk about. And boy, howdy, we are really getting into the winding down of the series, which sounds boring uh, when described like that, but this is where all of the action and drama and tension and everything is raising. All the stakes are raising. The drama's raising. Things are starting to accelerate plot-wise, and it all happens I mean, here in this book.
1: <laughs> I mean, I would say that this, this book has a very minor uh, plot footprint. Uh, even though it's, it's a big part of it i just feel like this this um situation has been done a few times in different ways but we'll get into that uh first we definitely want to welcome you back to the show if this is your first episode back uh and then also thank some of our uh, some of our new patreon um contributors. This is exciting to have that start back up and uh, and you know come back with, uh, with a bounce with a, with a punch. I don't know what you to call it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. It's a patreon tease for sure. And uh, you might be aware that uh, the Thoughtspeak podcast has and operates a patreon.com account and it is just so incredibly useful to us as creators, as showrunners, as producers, as people who want to make you the most professional show possible with the best equipment possible. We want to do all that, and it's our Patreon subscribers. We love them so much, we call them the ThoughtSpeak Auxiliary. And you can actually join and become a member of our auxiliary. It's, it's possible. Um, right off the bat, uh, we want to thank our three, count them, three big Patreon supporters currently. We've got Jeff, we've got Ben, and we've got our old friend Andrew. Uh, and this Patreon as it stands now is but a mere fragment of what it once was, my dear listeners. Because at our at our height, at our heyday, at our glory day, we had... Many, many <laughs> subscribers and, and contributors and a sizable income that really helped us to deliver the show with, I want to say consistency, but, you know, knowing our past history of, of delivering consistently, uh, that's a strong word. Still, the point remains, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash thoughtspeak.
1: We, we, about- we recognize that we need to uh, work to get that back. You know, those people relied on us and, and to some extent we dropped the ball in the fact that we walked away from the podcast there for a bit. Um, but we're excited to be back. And I, I really do think, um, our lives are in a situation where, uh, we're going to be able to put these episodes out regularly and, and kind of figure out what the future of the podcast looks like. Uh, but definitely we we need to see that there's still interest and in, in people who want to support us because um, podcasting ain't cheap sometimes. So um, anyway, we appreciate any, any help.
0: Totally. Uh, all help is appreciated. And in fact, we like returning the favor as much as we can, wherever we're able. And to that end... Uh, Stick around for the very end of the episode after we give our reviews. We are going to read a few thoughts and mini-reviews from our Patreon supporters. And like I said, if you want your thoughts uh, channeled through my mouth here on the show, you can do that too. (laughs) Channeled is my phrasing. I would just (laughs) say thoughts spoken. We can make that happen.
1: Thoughts spoken, like the the title of the... The podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah, I see what you did there, and I don't don't care for it. (laughs) So, that's my my spiel. That's our Patreon. Please check it out. Tonight, I keep saying tonight. You know when it is tonight, I guess. That makes sense. But, you know, whenever they're listening to it, it's probably not tonight. Anyway, we are talking Animorphs number 47, The Resistance. As I keep mentioning, uh, we are dissecting the cover currently, and boy howdy, uh you pointed out that it's almost like a painting sort of style, which is a little bit different from what we've seen in some of these other covers.
1: Well it's yeah, it's a painting and it's it's in the style some people who read these books might not remember, but before these books, you know, in the I'm sixties, seventies, eighties, you had things like Babysitter's Club and uh, you know, uh the the kind of mid-grade sweet valley series chapter books yeah the chapter books of that time they the all did painting children co- yeah they all did painting covers like this um 90s books and and goosebumps and and uh animorphs they were the ones really branching out and trying new styles with how these books looked. but this one specifically it's like maybe they didn't have the normal guy available and they went back to uh or maybe it's just like an ode to those older style books. I'm not sure. I think I do think do honestly
0: that book. I think a lot of the that that media aimed at younger readers uh, utilizes this uh, what I would call photorealistic sort of painting style. Um, I, I think they use that as more or less uh, an appropriate medium, I guess, to you know entice readers. I suppose. Um, it, it doesn't particularly work in this instance, though, where Jake just has this like dumb, perplexed look <laughs> on his face, and he's turning into a beaver. Um, and which the, also has the, a
1: dumb, perplexed look on. His face.
0: <laughs> I was well, yeah, I was gonna say, which is not the most intelligent looking creature, but the the midway between uh, the morphs um, looks so uh, cringy, I guess. And knowing that these uh, morphs on the covers are not depicted how the morphs would actually take place within the stories I mean, just makes, makes little Beaver Jake look even more ridiculous.
1: The middle trans- uh, transformation, like the, the direct middle of the, of the morph, uh, that one actually looks like that painting in Italy of the woman who uh, tried to repair the old painting of Jesus, and she just ended up smearing it all around. Uh, it's <laughs> close. Interesting. Well, I think he looks like a guinea pig. He does look like a guinea pig. Uh, And that's
0: about it. And then they chose to to back this. (laughs) They chose to back this with these just totally regular kind of like sky with clouds, like nothing unusual about it. Kind of pretty, actually, with some purple in it. Um, But otherwise, it's like not noteworthy. It just makes you sort of think of like a dumb beaver on a sunny day.
1: Well, yeah, and then they were like, you know, they choose a different color for uh, the fonts and stuff, which each Animorph book on the on the front. And this one, I guess they were just like, oh, cool painting with uh, with some clouds. Let's go teal. Let's Just do a teal on top of this. It's
0: just (laughs) maybe Uh, do you happen to have access to the quote on the on the front cover?
1: What would you do if you lost your mind to a yerk?
0: That reeks of 90s PSA material that was like sitting around on somebody's hard drive and you know, they replaced, they replaced uh, uh, like
1: marijuana with a yerk. Well, it's just funny because this book series was so big at this point, you know, at the point that this came out, it was this massive series and they were still doing these front cover quotes, like, I don't know, to like trick someone into trying the book out or something like it's not it could be more relevant Uh, it could be like oh in this one jake has to make a tough decision but he's got some help from the past or something like that
0: yeah right yeah it's, it would be very simple to put a little bit of effort into making a, a quote that entices readers and is relevant to the story held within. But uh-huh. like we said, they, they tend to go with these things that honestly, I think they just had a big list
1: prepared. No, and, they looked at this painting of of this small child turning into a beaver and they're like, no, we got them with that. That's the hook. We don't need to do any more than that.
0: It, it might be. And actually what you just said Perfectly describes how I feel about this inner flap picture because it is literally just like a pretty, pretty beautiful. I'll, I'll give it that uh, scenery, like a landscape photo of a beaver. I and mean, it kind you know, like of looks
1: like a like a hotel painting. Um, sure, I I'm like, not Throw a horspajir off one of those trees. Throw yeah. a horspajir back there.
0: <laughs> throw throw Marco and Cassie in the pond like wrestling with one of the beavers. Th-
1: there you go. Or you know what, even, I mean, if you would have thrown some tents on that far shore, like some campground tents, yeah. that would have been more relevant right there.
0: And they could have done, like, bright yellows and, like, pinks to really make the colors pop. That would have been awesome.
1: You know, I, I hear that the the artist for all of the covers and, and the inside covers is doing the rounds on a couple podcasts, and man, I really want to talk to him. I'm just really worried... <laughs> about him listening to past episodes because i i think these these covers are incredibly iconic i think they're one of the main reasons these books sell so well but i just don't know what kind of like marketing directives they were given on some of these inside covers i never you understood. know
0: what i want to i want to give the the poor gentleman i've read a lot of his uh, uh q and a's and stuff and mm-hmm. and i think it being the 90s Um, this, this guy, you know, got this job. He was pretty excited about or whatever and did some kooky kind of art. And he had no idea that, uh, decades later, later, the children that were reading this stuff, were going to grow up and like talk about him publicly. So let's approach it with, uh, like, uh, really happy to have this stuff. Nice work kind of approach. Right. But we can still criticize slightly because that's what we do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Criticizing okay. children's
1: books is, is what we've built our empire on.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's that's that should be our tagline for the auxiliary when you sign up. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna read the back of the book. How's that sound? Sounds great. Let's do it. I'm making you excited yet. Okay, wonderful. Here we go. The Animorphs and Axe have to make the most important decision they've ever had to make. Do they continue to fight the Yerks in secret? Or is it time to let everyone know there's a resistance? That the Animorphs exist, and that Earth does stand a small chance against the invasion. Jake knows that either choice is a major one, not one that some kids should be responsible for. But he's getting tired of the pressure, so even though he realizes the other Animorphs need him to be strong, he doesn't feel that way. In fact... He feels just the opposite, and Jake knows if he starts to lose it, the animorphs are done on a very special episode of the animorphs—a very special after-school um, special. I mean,
1: it's it's <laughs> right; it's not wrong in all of that. Like, it, I wish it the book gives would the have wrong been
0: wrong information.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wish it would have been more about that. I mean, those things are touched on. They do talk about, you know, briefly talk about whether they should go out in the open, which they did in the last book as well. Um, Jake does, you know, suffer with the idea of him being the only one, but I don't think it, it really pushes that idea strong enough that Jake is like about to like give up. Um, I wish that. no,
0: they are not going to be able to adequately describe just how damaged Jake is as a person, as a character with these little back of the book blurbs. And that's not what they should should have done. This this should have set up. The I'm saying the actual about, book should
1: have done that. I don't think the actual book that we're about to talk about did that well enough.
0: <laughs> oh no, I, I agree with you there too. I don't think what we read inside the book uh, is a is an accurate reflection of what this the back of the book statement here is saying. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, a more apt description would have been something about the Free Freehorcbejir colony, which uh, they they just don't even really talk about on the back of this book here. You, no, you don't get that.
1: I'd say that's the main plot point of this book is the what happens with the Horpcbejir colony. So, dang Skippy, and and
0: boy, we're gonna get into that a lot. Uh, so that's that's the whole uh, covers, I guess. And we're gonna do this one now. Okay, so well, hold on.
1: Let's, let's 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 get let's get pumped. We're about to jump in the book. You, you ready to jump into it? One hundred percent. And we are back. I hope you enjoyed uh, that wonderful ad. Who who read that? That was uh, just really sold me on whatever they were selling.
0: Yeah, very um uh, nice attempt at a segue. Okay, so. I'm super excited about this book because I I was telling uh, Coleman a little bit like before we started. um, I I really want to talk about a lot of the things that happen primarily in the middle of the book. Um, A lot of the meat of this book lies with uh, this encounter that our group of heroes has with um, some other people, some other characters. Okay, we'll get to it. Um but as I go on and talk about this story, we have we have another emerging plot or story that's going to develop. And and I wanted to know just offhand how Coleman, my co-host, wants to handle this narratively as as we go through and talk about the story. Um because I feel like it might be appropriate to do I, w- I would would not mind approaching it from like a almost two different kind of book reviews standpoint this could be a twofer two two book reviews in one episode wow um yeah. if, so it's you of, can elaborate
1: yeah so i think because this book is so weird in how it's laid out i think we could do instead of going by plot beat by beat cuz i think both plots are kind of loose I, I don't think they're like very detailed we don't jump full into either plot uh we're kind of just hitting plot points they're uh, in they're both pretty stories. minimal yeah So I think we could summarize one and then summarize the other and then talk about how they, uh, what relevance they might have to each other. Does that sound good and different from how we normally do things?
0: Yes, absolutely. And in fact, I'm uh, probably just going to read my summary exactly as I wrote it because I write it the way I do. It's very specific and I can just read it. And um, I didn't send you my summary this time because I know that when I do that, you're tempted to just plagiarize my work. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so I'll go through my summary as we normally do, right? And, okay. Is it um, is
1: it massive though? Because I, I want them to match in kind of length, like what we talked about. Because I'm just going to literally summarize. No,
0: the because basic as we just plot. said, there's not a whole lot like plot-wise yeah. that goes on. You know, it's it's just like maybe four or five different like scenes, really. And I can give you all the information like right up front. Like this is okay. a very well, easy quick. book.
1: Oh, go ahead. Well, real quick, I just want to, if, if someone is listening to this and is incredibly confused with what we're talking about, this book has two stories. you have... Oh,
0: you don't even have to describe it yet. I'll get into that with my first plot point here. Okay,
1: let's go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, <clears throat> Jake's feeling down about this whole alien invasion thing. Um, and, and, you know, he, he's just gotten off of this one mission, you know, that it's not a fun time being in a war, right? And he comes home and he's just kind of like hating life, being the leader of the Animorphs. And uh, as he's stressing about, out about the fighting and all that and his brother, you know, being a just a source of pure evil that he has to live with. Um, his mom asks him, you know, to do chore work because on top of all of this, uh, alien warfare responsibility, Jake's also got to do, you know, like regular teen stuff. So he goes out into the basement to clean up as per his mom's request. And he ends up finding a chest with a whole bunch of artifacts from his late grandpa G. And inside this chest, he finds this old war diary, uh, which belongs to one Isaiah Fitzhenry. Okay, and this uh, little diary entries that we we get between uh, chapter breaks becomes the the B plot of this book essentially. So Lieutenant Fitzhenry's whole plot is that he's in charge of uh, defending this town, and he has to work with a bunch of different civilians uh, as well as some who are, gasp, not the same race as him. And his struggle is about you know learning to accept uh, the help from. Those that are around him, though, they're not the ideal soldiers, right? Is, is that a good uh, explanation of what goes on there?
1: Yeah, I'll definitely go into that just very slightly more in depth in my summary. But you can continue on with uh, some crazy tree lizards and their exploits.
0: Oh, yeah. You're, you're talking about the Hork-Bajir. We're, we're going to get into that and say that word a billion times more. Um, so Jake gets a call from Cassie in the dead of night at four in the morning. (laughs) And she does something that I really love. And she, you know, asks him, um, she tells him this, this nonsense. It sounds like nonsense or regular kids speak to, uh, anybody who, um, would be listening like Tom, for instance, she says, you know, uh, my friend Toby, uh, wanted to ask you or something. I think she likes you. And Jake, of course, understands this as a, a signal to go meet up with Toby, the leader of the Free Hork-Bajir in their, their Hidden Valley hork Ranch, right? So <laughs> Jake, Jake does that. He, he, he morphs and he flies uh, to the hork Valley right away. Um, at this point in time, it's kind of cool to to know that they're working behind the scenes as well with the chi because they mentioned that they're having the chi fill in for them during the conflict of this book as well which is a practice they start doing more and more and and i think that's a great idea utilizing them and taking advantage of what they can do i mean they've been doing that
1: throughout the entire series it's not that's nothing new
0: pretty sporadically we've been talking a lot i think about how the chi are underutilized at least that's been my prevailing
1: opinion they could definitely do a lot more. I, I agree with that. Chi Chronicles, make it happen, ka. Oh, so good.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, after Jake arrives at the uh, the Hidden Valley Ranch, um, he he goes. He sees all of his buddies down there. Like the group's assembled. Like this plot is off and running. And after a, a brief little talk with his team and Toby. Um, they update him on the situation that's unfolding. That is really bad for them and the colony. They're in danger because one of these free Hork-Bajir. Uh, they they go on these raids uh, every so often to try and free more of their you know enslaved comrades. Um, and one of these poor free bastards got captured again. And this is basically a death sentence for our team because uh, Yerks getting inside of that head means they have access to a lot of information that's really bad for our heroes, yeah? Uh, so this puts the team at odds right away. Jake is uh, the the calm, collected ha, leader um, who wants you know everyone to just leave, abandon, abandon ship, get out of the valley. Like, we know the Yerks are going to be coming very soon and this is what we need to do. Um, and of course, the hork being stubborn aliens that, you know, are sick of being uprooted all the time, want to make their stand. So Jake and Toby and the team have a big powwow. They uh, strategize exactly what they're going to do because Jake realizes he can't get them to abandon their valley. So they've got to, like, try and defend it the best they can. Um, they plan to kind of fight away from the valley and retreat up into the hills as necessary and in doing so, moving themselves and the hork uh, closer to human civilization, the, the, it's closer towards, you know, where they all live. Um, so Tobias is, is flying around, running sky cams like he does, and he reports that there's another snag in the, the whole thing, in that some campers are in the valley currently, and they could potentially be in a lot of danger if they get caught up in this conflict. So... They suspect that they're non-controllers. They feel like they're confident enough that these are regular civilians. They're people that they can, you know, more or less, uh, try to warn. Right. So Jake feels mildly more compelled to help them rather than just like outright ignore them and let them be, you know, killed. Uh, so, while they're scoping them out, he also sees the beavers working on the dam and he gets this whole bright idea to like build the bigger beaver dam to flood out the yurks. And that's like the whole rest of the plot of the book, right? And that's probably what most people remember, especially because there's the damn beavers on the cover, right? But the far more interesting conflict this book sets up is with these other characters, right? So that's, I I really want to put a lot more emphasis on talking about them. Um, a funny note here is that they, they all go down to the beaver dam and try to grab some beavers uh, to acquire, of course. <laughs> and Jake puts Axe in charge of the whole dam build operation because Axe is like good with math and sticks or something. While Jake and Tobias go to meet with the campers. At this point, we also get a very important morph lore update that always excites people like us. He says, thank God we could finally morph some halfway decent clothes, the result of a whole lot of experience. And that's it. That's all we get on that lore update.
1: Yeah, it's weird that they didn't go into it further. Um, like, what you know, them practicing that or if they're just more experienced now. Um, I wonder if that was from the top with, K okay, Applegate being like, hey, they can morph clothes now. Or if, um, or if that's just it, thrown in by the Ghost Rider, who knows.
0: It sounds like a convenience thing. 'Cause uh, as we discussed in previous ThoughtSpeaks, it's it would be way more interesting to see them like developing the power and, you know, experimenting in various ways and, you know, updating the Morph floor, you know, through training. Um
1: well, we could have even got been like uh, it, it, it could have even gotten part of the plot where they had a book where, you know, they had to get away from, you know, some yerks, but they were in morph. And they had to blend in with a bunch of people and they just morphed back into their clothes so they could immediately like get into a crowd or something. It was like a do or die moment. Even something like that would have been a little more uh, better for transitioning.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, generally, I think any anything they could have done to expand the lore uh, would be better to be more fleshed out than these one sentence blurbs because this is a pretty important update, I think. You know?
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's weird that it was
0: so offhand. Definitely. Um, I, I, I want to do more readings, I guess. And and I want to do, uh, in particular, this like whole scene where... Maybe not the whole scene, but a lot of this dialogue where Jake um, and Tobias are approaching these campers. And they're doing so with the intention of revealing themselves... Well, not quite revealing themselves. First, Jake attempts to make up an excuse, like uh, a lame excuse about an oncoming snowstorm. Um, but they're not really having any of that. They're they're like smarter uh, than that. It's nice weather. And if this were the modern age, they would have just updated it to be like, yeah, we looked at our smartphone and Google says otherwise. I, I think that's how an adaptation would have handled this part. Um But he makes a fool of himself and decides that morphing in front of them is the only way that's really going to kind of scoot the conflict
1: around along. Um, And and they do just that. This is and this is what I was going to bring up earlier. I don't understand to an extent with this book why this group is special. Because they've run into this happens multiple times throughout the series that they're doing something up in the mountains and they run across some campers and there's been a couple times they haven't been able to save them but there's been other times where they've tried to like run them out of camp with like a bear morph or something so uh, (laughs) and you like steer them I think it happened in the first Megamorphs book Uh, they they steer them. Buddy,
0: you just brought up a very good point that I didn't think of. They could have just, yeah, morphed a like rhino and literally scared them
1: away. I mean, they've literally done that in the books already. That's that's what I'm saying. It's not new. So yeah, uh, they could
0: have done that, but but they chose to do this other thing. They weird. wanted
1: to have this confrontation where they, you know, bring some more people into the fold. And I just think it's weird how it was how it was done. In that they didn't talk for a second about why this is different. Than when they've done it in the past. Or maybe you yeah, yeah. hadn't read those books, I don't know.
0: <laughs> you know what? I guess maybe we should have confirmed if the, if this one is a ghost written one or or not, if this is KA. It and unfortunately no. I don't think no, it says is. in the
1: No, no it no, I can confirm right now. It's written by um
0: Oh, Ellen Garot.
1: Yeah, Ellen Garot. Is Gareau. that right? Yep. Okay. Well The outline is by KA Applegate.
0: Gotcha. Okay. I'll I'll read this uh, this one bit that I like here really quick. Um, so this is uh, Jake and, and Tobias. They they are you know trying to talk to these campers and get them to move, and they're not buying it. So I turned to Tobias. Okay, we're desperate. I don't want to do this, but I don't think we have a choice. Are you sure? Tobias whispered. What if one of them bolts or attacks us or runs straight to the local media? If the Yurks hear that two human boys were morphing. I know Tobias, I snapped, I know there are consequences, that was my job, to know the consequences, it was also my job to make the tough decisions, to lead, um, so I started to morph, and, and that, uh, I, I just like that um, dynamic here between Jake and Tobias, um, Tobias is almost like Jake's conscience in a sense he's he's here and he's like asking you know the questions he's reminding Jake of how important this stuff is and to to hear that uh, Jake snap on him and you know just remind him that he's aware of the consequences. he's been doing this leader thing long enough now.
1: <laughs> well, he's obviously just stressed out too, but it's it's interesting maybe it's just because we just read the graphic novel version of the original book, but it's it's come a long way since jake. You know, helping him from some bullies who are giving him a swirl in the bathroom where Tobias is actually like standing up to Jake here and like making sure, you know, checking his logic on everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very telling, actually, that he uh, assigns the other Animorphs uh, the task of doing the Beaver Dam thing and specifically brings Tobias with him. He could have brought Cassie. He could have brought Marco but he he chose Tobias because i think Tobias really fits his like number one kind of uh, you know in a in a commanding sense right
1: oh no that's um, totally marco marco's definitely his number one he gives him no, all the no like, no
0: i think you're wrong i think i think marco's his best friend for sure and a reliable contact but marco has too much free will and and independence and we, he we just saw him demonstrate how he's willing to go against Jake's orders, uh, which he very clearly did in that that book where they freed visor, visor One or his mom. Um, that's why Marco's not his real number one because he he just he doesn't take commands quite like Tobias does. Tobias you know, is thing. utterly Tobias, dedicated to the cause.
1: Tobias just takes commands, though. I mean, I think I think it's that in the past, I think. Who has Jake trusted the team with more often with their own plans? I think it's Marco. Tobias has always been more of a scout and, a, you know, a, definitely like you said, a conscience. Uh, but I, I don't see Jake relying on Tobias too much without, throughout the series as far as, you know, shouldering the weight of command. <laughs>
0: uh, no, not not so much in the way of command. Um, yeah, you're right about that. I, I think that... He knows that Tobias is more or less a much more manipulatable uh, soldier. And more reliable.
1: Sure. I'll I'll give you that. Definitely reliable.
0: Yeah. Well, um, it's. Unless a bird is
1: attacked or caged and then he goes goes rogue.
0: (laughs) I like seeing Jake and Tobias's interactions. I I feel like um, maybe those two don't get enough screen time. Together, yeah, it's always Tobias is always
1: paired off with Rachel, and and Jake's always paired off with Mark or Cassie. So you're right; they they should have given them a, a bit more to do throughout the books.
0: Definitely. But uh, moving on, um, these campers are they they have an obsession with science fiction uh, and Star Trek in particular. And only uh, probably two of these uh, characters are really relevant to this story and to the plot and to what this book is trying to say. And those characters are Emily. She's like the surrogate, you know, teen or child or uh, somebody that that the reader or the team can identify with, right? She's the kid. Uh, The overly ambitious kid, in fact, who says things like, I want to help, and we have to free the Horkbajir and crush the Yurks. Right, very idealistic stuff. And in fact, Tobias even says, uh, "Remind you of anyone, Jake?" And very clearly, clearly referencing how she's similar to Rachel. Um, mm-hmm. So, so Emily uh, is there with her brother and her dad, Richard, the other probably important character to the story. And I think they represent uh, these civilians that sort of get caught up in the war efforts. And in these guys' case, they have a severe lack of understanding of what they're getting themselves into in this situation. Uh, when these kids approach them and turn into a Siberian tiger and a hawk, um, their reaction is one that's more of fantasy, right? They, they relate it to what they know in sci-fi, um, they they think they're part of the Federation and uh that they're, I don't know, gonna battle with Phasers or something. You know, they've they've got a very... I think it went
1: too far into that, where it was just like these guys have no even if even if they're huge Trekkies and all of that, um it, it's weird that they focus so much on if aliens were real they would be exactly like Star Trek, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And maybe that was done to just really quickly drive the point home that this Richard character is like he's like kind of like Marco's dad. I view him as like this aging uh well-to-do kind of dork. Um he's a father, obviously. And uh he he's idealistic, I guess. He he wants to help when he hears about this grand situation because he thinks it's like this grand, noble thing he doesn't understand the complexities and the realities of war like jake and tobias are trying to tell him um tobias even specifically says jake you're not giving them a real image of what what's going to happen here you need to be more graphic and jake tries he tries over and over again to tell these people look this is not going to be fun this is a war and uh they accidentally end up recruiting some of these people um, who, once again, have no real scope or scale of what they're doing. They just, they're young and idealistic, and they want to get involved in a war. <laughs> um, and I think that's a super interesting uh, plot element to, to really think about and talk about in terms of, like, what it means for the characters, uh, and especially as it pertains to their recruitment methods, because as I was reading it, I kind of started to feel like these are very similar recruitment methods to how the Yurks bring about, uh, you know, their their uh, volunteer hosts in, into their war efforts. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was. I don't think it's that manipulative, but it is definitely. Um, uh, they needed bodies, and and they put them on the front lines. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't, I didn't really think in their situation with what they knew was coming with the Dracon beams and, and bug fighters and everything else. I, I really didn't think, um, some campers who haven't been part of the fight or, or even, yeah, have a grasp of what they're getting into would have made so much of a difference that, that Jake would take this big of a risk. It just seems weird. seems out of character. Um, and, and very, geez, you know, trying to push the plot forward into saying something specific without it making a lot of logical sense. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah uh they could have certainly dedicated uh more time to i i like richard and his daughter emily's uh side plot here it's just unfortunately more of an example of like a civilian um who gets caught up in a war that they don't quite you know understand the the full scope and scale of um so they, they bring these campers back
1: to the Horkbajer ranch. I'm going to jump in real quick um, because this, you are doing a full-on summary, um, which I'm all for. We can go in depth with it because I'm glad there's more to talk about. But I, I want to jump over to the side story because it's going to be much more compact of telling what that story is. And I think it That's would be fine. nice to, just like the book itself, we're jumping in the middle um, to talk about this other story. Um, it's a good spot to it, do it, too. Yeah, if it gives any uh, context to the rest of the book. As we said at the beginning, there's two stories going on here, and they really are parallel throughout the book. You're going every other chapter back and forth. Um, but I think this other story, they're much shorter pieces of the pie uh, and tell a shorter story than the main part of the book with the Hork-Bajir and Defending the Valley and all that. But basically... Uh, it tells the story, you know, Jake's down in his basement reading these notes. Uh, it's it's a journal left behind um, by uh, I, Isaiah FitzHenry. And he talks about uh, going to this small town uh, during the Civil War uh, with a handful of men because they've been beaten and, and, you know, they've lost a good chunk of their reserves uh, I think they say they're down to like fifteen men or something like that. It's uh, it's crazy. And, and in Civil War, that's kind of how things were. Even a large battalion was like a hundred or two hundred men, um, which doesn't seem that much, but it was <laughs> in 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 the states during that time. Uh, it's bigger anyway, army than town. I have access to. Yeah, he gets to this town and uh, he gets a um, telegraph from uh, another uh, larger general uh, telling them that they think that the uh, just a, a really mean Confederate soldier battalion I mean really disastrous to multiple forts and and battles throughout the way uh, are, are coming in on their area and they think they're going to attack this town and they're probably way outgunned in just numbers i mean this battalion that's coming for them the confederate soldiers probably has like 300 men and um they start you know working with the townspeople and with what men they have to try to build up some kind of resistance Um, what ends up happening which you mentioned is that some freed slaves from the south Uh, come down from the mountains after observing them setting up these uh, protections and and meeting with Isaiah, saying that they want to help. They want to be a part of fighting. And Isaiah is absolutely against this. I mean, I don't think they paint him as an abolitionist at all. I I, I really don't think that he he still has his own doubts and his own uh, biases and, and racism going on with him. But he's more open to it than let's say the normal northern soldier um but (laughs) his biggest reservation of them helping is the fact that the townspeople would turn on them because he knows that uh the townspeople and even a lot of his own soldiers would would not fight alongside them if they knew they'd have to fight alongside um these former slaves and so He's struggling with this, and we go back to him multiple times where they're setting up things, and uh, eventually he realizes that the numbers of the Confederate soldiers that are coming are just so much that they have to do anything they can. And he starts letting the uh, freed slaves dig ditches and help out with just the general, like, workload. And during this time where they're helping build, uh, you know, fortifications, uh, they get attacked by this forward scout party of this Confederate army. Um, and it goes okay. Um, not <laughs> awful, not great. Uh, but uh, the freed slaves, they're not allowed guns or anything, but they help and they fight with shovels and whatever they have near them. And they spook the uh, Confederate soldier scout party enough to, to win the day. Um, most Surprise, of them are still victory. hurt after. Yeah, and most of them are still hurt after this first uh, barrage, but uh, they get away with it. And so from there on, some of the townspeople saw how they fought, uh, and they're still very wary of the freed slaves for various uh, reasons at the time. But um, but uh, the, Isaiah starts forming uh, a friendship with kind of the leader of the freed slaves, and, and kind of uh, maybe friendship's a little... Um, more than what you'd say but he definitely sees him as a good man and someone who's willing to actually fight and he's not going to turn tail and run uh, when the shooting starts so he starts relying on them and even training them to fight with guns and um, you know it's not told directly but it's, it's implied that when the actual army comes and it is real uh, you have the numbers they said are real that it was like 300 strong um, when the actual army comes to face them you have isaiah the freed slaves and the townspeople all fighting together and kind of putting their differences aside even though those biases are still there um and nice. it's you know it's it's a it's a really nice ending to that story and showing uh i thought it was very real of the time um because they they didn't they didn't try to paint it as more nostalgic or, or whitewash it in any way. Like they really were – every single person in the story was incredibly racist to these freed slaves in their thoughts and, and how they acted towards them. Um, so uh, it's nice that they didn't paint that any different way. But, but yeah,
0: the, the uh, point was despite that, they were able to come together, right?
1: Yeah, and they lost horribly. That's, I mean, <laughs> I think uh, Jake's, Jake's ancestor survived, but most of those men died um at the end. So oh that was yeah, the implication. I mean, they, yeah, but they they did come together and um honestly, in in you getting ready to jump into the rest of the summary, um I think the ties to the actual story are very loose in both metaphor and and just literal plot um to hmm. me I mean other than the fact that they're fighting a battle they're probably going to lose, um that they had to give up ground at multiple points and and that you know, I don't know. I, I, I see the parallels because you do have people coming together in the Horpager Valley. I just don't think they matched or, or why they would use a Civil War story to match this. I, I thought it was very, even though I oh. liked both stories, I thought it was very random to have these connect to each other. You know what I mean?
0: Uh, yeah. Well, I'll flesh out uh, a little bit more on why I believe they did that. Um because I, I thought it was very, uh, an odd choice, I guess, to very, very specific to use the Civil War, uh, that mm-hmm. period, and that, you know, it seems like they wanted to, to say something, right, about, about the race relations. That's what you're about to say,
1: right? <laughs> the hork are freed slaves? I mean, that's that's kind of the...
0: Yeah, uh, totally. But it's also about, you know, uh, getting along with people who are different, different races. It's just that this this uh, book uh, has the allegory with uh, space reptiles, you know.
1: So it, it's a little <laughs> harder you didn't to see that, But you didn't have the relationships in the Animorphs plot that you did in the Civil War plot. Like, in the Civil War plot, they're very much, you know, the race problems, the, the friendship between the leaders. Like, you didn't have that parallel where even, like, Jake could have realized something or, or some kind of made a connection uh, with the Hork-Bajir. There's no, like—like, like the campers are just down to help them and then realize they're in a bad situation. It's just—I don't know. It just felt very different. It had very loose connections. Okay,
0: me. well, I thought they... There's at least one instance, I think, where they do a little bit of comparison. You could call it comparison between the hork and humans, right? Uh, particularly the, the Hork-Bajir in the present and and the people of the town in the past. Um, mm-hmm. There's one scene where they're just kind of like walking with the hork and one of them like is carrying a, a baby and something happens they trip or something and drop the baby and then they like you know quickly struggle to pick up the kid and and carry on moving and and Jake points out like how similar they are to to humans in that way and you get that little visual of of like yeah, yeah if i you know drop my baby i'd pick him up real quick
1: <laughs> yeah it's so, not super similar though i don't drop my baby i don't is that just me oh,
0: no well not everyone's a super dad like you, <laughs> except especially not the, the Hork Bajir and their abysmal yeah, they're just <laughs> living dropping quality. Trees and yeah,
1: <laughs> so I would, I would hope that the, the walking razor blade people aren't clumsy.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I I think they could have given us a, a couple of more um, similarities, I guess, but you know, whatever it is, what it is. um, <clears throat> That that's basically like the end of that story, though. Uh, uh, it's it's assumed that the Civil War obviously was a battle that was won or a war that was won. But there were many losing battles that made it up.
1: Right. Yeah, that was the that was the point, I guess, that they were really trying to make.
0: Cool. Well, OK, there's some finalty there, I guess. Uh, back in the A plot. They're like prepping all the the people and and their traps and stuff. They're making weapons. They've got assembly lines flowing. Um, Jake and and Tobias check in with the Beaver team, and they're they're doing their thing to dam this valley up. Jake wants to just end the conflict really quickly and flood the whole valley. Um, he's really banking a lot on on that plan working out for him. Um, there's a, a pretty good line here. Where he returns to the team, and he kind of has to fill them in on the campers, right? Um, it's It's funny how the team splits up here a little bit, and then we get to see the dynamic of Jake uh, being a leader and then having to inform his his soldiers, the people that he's most familiar with commanding. He has to tell them that they brought on, you know, some new help, some hired hands, right? And they're not that happy about it. Um, so he says, uh, I landed on the bank and began to demorph. They've been excellent help. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry. This is Cassie talking about beavers. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he said, he said, uh, after she talks about beavers, he says, that's great. I said, absently, <laughs> I had to tell them, but suddenly I wish I didn't have to say a word. I, uh, listen, those campers from down the Valley want to help the hork You mean they know Rachel? Jake, are you nuts? Drastic times call for drastic measures, I said evenly. You used those words at the meeting yesterday. Oh, okay, I did. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I I love that little, little reprimand cheek. of uh, Rachel, and Rachel actually going along with it like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. No, that checks out. Let's, uh, let's, do let's, they can help. <laughs> um. There's, there's another little uh, uh, cool part here where, um, you know, Marco, uh, he opposes it, and, and Jake very uh, earnestly has to tell him. Um, Marco says, Jake, who decided it was okay to make public appearances? Jake says, well, you, actually. And that's not an accusation, it's a fact. When you told your dad about us, you did what you had to do, and so did I. Marco defends himself by saying, That was different with my dad. Maybe even with those sailors and marines on the aircraft carrier. I don't know. But come on, Jake, you don't even know these campers. Who they work for, who they're related to, where they're from. Jake then responds, They're a bunch of sci-fi fanatics who believe in aliens before Tobias and I even showed them anything. I tried to smile, Pretend I wasn't as worried as Marco. They thought we were from the Federation. Can you believe it? No one laughed. That is immediately followed by this super ominous bit of text that, remember when, like, I think I think something like this happened when the Elemist was introduced. Like, the text changed, right?
1: Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about.
0: Cool, so let me read this. There's like dashed lines across the bottom of this page, and then in a different font, it says, quite ominously, the countdown has begun. It will all be over very, very soon. And that text right there, I kind of skipped over it the first time I was reading it, but every time I read it subsequently, I think that text has big dick energy right there. Cause,
1: Well, hold on. Is that the bottom of the page um, on the book? Is it just part of the, like, countdown to the end of the books? Or no, is it actually part of it's that? It's
0: dropped into the story. So uh, the reason I read that scene right before you, uh, right before this, um, was because this was Jake, as I said, bringing his troops into the the knowing of, hey, we've got more help, right? These are civilians that we're including. I think this text here is meant to say, like, this is where the story is going to go from now on. We are going to see non-combatants and civilians being pulled into this war and this conflict, right? I think that's what it's really trying to get at here, is the Mm -hmm. the countdown is starting, and this is the quantifiable point when things have changed.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think you're right. I just don't... I don't remember reading... I know you're talking about with the Elimist and the font changing. I don't remember this being in my copy that I read. That's
0: interesting. Well, this is uh, this is a regular uh, bookstore version. And when I say that, I mean it's not the... Sometimes they say this is a scholastic official copy or something like that. Something to that line. Mm-hmm. And I think that is some sort of reprint. Whereas I think this is an, an original run print. So, yeah, well, it's got is, that that text definitely inserted not here that.
1: mine is definitely a uh put together copy let's just put it that way
0: yeah okay well readers as you're listening to this if you own the book open it up to page 100 and you will see exactly what i'm talking about this text interrupts the story to say that the countdown has begun so if we're looking at it if we're taking this book at face value it believes the countdown has started here at book 47 right here in the middle Um, there's a great conversation that Jake has with Axe that I just want to read really quickly and then we'll scoot on to the next plot point, I swear. Um, so Jake comes back and he talks to Axe about the dam building, right? Uh, Axe says, time is running out. We need your help to finish the dam. Jake narrates, not a word about what I'd done with all that had happened between us and all that had gone down in this war, Axe still considered me his leader still followed my orders and accepted my decisions. Not that it really mattered what Axe or anyone else thought. As long as they acted with loyalty, as long as they also understood that I'd already taken full responsibility for revealing us to the campers, no one else was to blame, not even Tobias. So this is kind of an interesting little uh, insight into Jake's psyche and especially as it uh, pertains to Axe and the way that he had just behaved in the previous books.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting that he kind of takes that off Axe. Because uh, that could have been a huge thing where Axe disobeyed him and, and went against the rest of the Animorphs. Like, they've done entire books on Axe for much less than that. Um, <laughs> in how he's separate from the Animorphs. Um, but no, yeah, this specifically, it's it's it's... I guess when you're putting that much weight on your soldiers uh, for the rest of the world and, and being part of the resistance, then this isn't that big of a deal to do that as well.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. And it still shows that like Jake is like, you know, regardless of the personal things that go on between me and Axe, regardless of our friendship, our perceived friendship, um, I'm still going to use him like a, like a leader would use a pawn in this war, yeah. right?
1: I do it's want to go analytical. back real quick because I I did look at my copy of the uh, of the book and I ha- I do have that text. The countdown has begun; it will be over very very soon. Now, have you gone back and looked at the Elemist text you were referencing and see if it was? Similar? They use
0: a different text for that, and that was specifically because the Elemist was talking to them and kind of inserting himself into the story. It was characterization. This is done. Not as a narrator, not as a character. Uh, it's, it's like marketing? It's, it's just an interruption. You know, it, it really it's brings so the reader weird. out of the story. But again, it fits this, like, theme of these things are the kids' war journals. And maybe this was, like, somebody scribbling in the note, like, you know, Marco went mad after 50 years and was like, this is the moment where everything changed.
1: So I would not be surprised if the ghostwriter got the outline and Kay Applegate specifically wrote this one part where they talk about revealing to the campers and what this means. And then Kay Applegate wrote a line saying, this is the count. They're like, this is important because this is where the end really begins when they do this one thing. And they were like, we don't really have anyone to say that. Uh, let's just, let's just put it as like a cool narration thing. (laughs)
0: Yeah, maybe. I, I'm not entirely sure uh, what their intention was there, other than to let readers know this long-running book series on war and animals is going to start winding down. Maybe winding up. W- winding up. Okay. Yeah, ramping up in terms of action. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. Real.
1: Uh. Quickly here. Um. There. they're You've been saying real quickly. For the last hour of the summary,
0: <laughs> that's because I'm staring at the last paragraph of my summary, <laughs> and I swear I'm going to start making more points here. Probably, um, that they uh, I'm really trying to decide like what is the most important things that I want to read here. So uh, I talked about the axe and Jake stuff. They're they're finishing up this beaver dam and and doing their stuff as Tobias gives word that the massive. York army is on its way. It's way bigger than they expected. It's only like an hour away, so the battle is coming, right? And like you said, they're kind of heightening the tension and drama by cutting back and forth strategically to this B plot. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Kind of like a lot of other books do, except this one is literally a different plot and a different story. Um, So it kind of works and it kind of doesn't,
1: right? Um, I want to do a tangent real quick where I would have loved more than than even having this whole hork story, if it would have been Jake in the basement reading um, about the Civil War story, like never-ending story style, where he's just like, he's got a blanket over him and it's storming outside, <laughs> and he's just trying to like, he's, he's so intensely into the story. And then the B-plot would be that, uh, that his brother actually came home and is like really close to discovering something in his room that would like reveal him as an animorph. But Jake's just down the basement, so engrossed in this civil war story. Like I don't know, that would have ti- that would have been more tied in than how random this Hork-Bajiri, uh Valley plot is. The civil war stuff. I don't know. That's what Absolutely. I would have loved to see: Never-ending Story in uh, Animorphs. The
0: Animorphs <laughs> version. Well, they could have done a lot. Uh, more interesting things i think with a lot of these concepts uh but um i, I just kind of want to talk about uh the character of richard right here and and this is basically our last moment with richard uh as soon as the the battle begins richard has this like moment of clarity after speaking with jake very briefly um, and I'm going to read it to you very quickly.
1: Well, just to paint this battle, too, one thing you haven't mentioned is the fact that they don't have any, like, dracon beams or anything like that. Like, the Animorphs have their morphs, obviously. But all the humans and the Hork-Bajir have, like, bows and arrows and sticks. Like, that's what they're fighting with.
0: Yeah, they're they're literally sharpening spears to throw. Um So, uh, they're, they're preparing for this battle. You know, they've sounded the, the horn of war essentially. And Richard, like I said, has a moment of clarity. Uh, Richard walked over to me still wearing his bright yellow vest, his face clean. When you say killed, he asked quietly, you mean killed as in stunned or captured, right? Unfortunately, Mr. Carpenter, I mean, killed as in dead. Richard's eyes widened, and I knew it was the first phase of panic. Um, So he goes on to say, oh, my God, um, I didn't realize. I've seen enough. We're going home. Lewis, Emily, get down from there. His kids, Richard's kids are, you know, they got war paint smeared on their face, and they're holding little makeshift spears, and they're hiding in the trees. And Richard has suddenly realized what a bad decision he's made as a father, (laughs) that he has put his kids in this danger. And now he's like bargaining with them. He's like, "Come down out of the trees! We gotta get out of here right now, or I'm taking away your internet privileges!" Right? Um, and sadly, it's too late for him. Uh, so he goes running off, like into the into the trees, like by himself. He abandons
1: his kids. It's kind of sad. Yeah, just like worst father ever. I mean, just he, awful. He
0: he he really doesn't make the right decisions. And I, I can go back and pinpoint, like, why and what just by reading what he simply said when, when they signed on. Um, he, says, um, he says, his kids are going, yeah, let's help the good guys. Let's help the aliens. Wait, Richard cried. Your mother would have a fit. Uh, Lewis grabbed his dad's arm. Real aliens, dad. Uh, Richard looked down at his son's glowing face. You're right, kid, he declared. It's a once-in-a-lifetime chance. We'll join in your fight, right? So you can see that, like, naive idealism. He wants to please his kids. He wants to join the war. But he hasn't really realized what it's going to mean. And here he has that moment. And uh, honestly, what he should have done, what him and those campers should have done, is the adults should have sent an adult representative with all of the kids back home, got out of there, fleed, and maybe two of those adults could have, you know, stuck around to help with the war stuff if they felt like it. But really they all should have fleed. There were civilians. They shouldn't have gotten involved. They didn't understand the scope of the, the war and they ultimately became casualties, civilian casualties. This, that's what this yeah, book it's... is about. It's about civilian casualties. Coleman, <laughs>
1: It is, but, I mean, kind of. <laughs> I really I don't. know,
0: I know, buddy. I know I'm stretching here because I've read this book like eight times now. No, I'm fr- saying the <laughs>
1: book is stretching.
0: Oh, oh, absolutely. Look, the first time I read this, uh, a, like, what, two, three years ago now, um, because of our hi- hiatus, I didn't have a whole lot to say on this. I could have very quickly gone through this whole plot and read my summary and been like, Pfft, here's what happens. But the more I read it, the more I thought about this particular conflict and these characters. And I think everything that happens at the beginning of the book and everything that happens kind of here at the end, which we're about to describe this battle scene, um, you can certainly talk about it in as much detail as you care to. But we know how these battle scenes go, right? Like the fighting starts and Animorphs is so good always at representing realistic hand-to-hand combat and, and animal warfare, let's call it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I agree with you.
0: Okay, so, and then another, like, new thing this book kind of throws at us are these blue-band Hork-Bajir uh, class of elite soldiers that these are the ones that, like, specifically uh, guard visor One now or something, right? They're, they're his elite squadron.
1: Um, yeah, and this is the first instance of them being brought up because we saw some I elite so. soldiers on on their ships a couple of times, and and specifically when Visitor One comes. But I don't think they were renamed Blue Band before.
0: Mm, I I couldn't I couldn't speak to it. I think I saw a comment somewhere. Um,
1: somebody they definitely used talking about this after and after said this. that.
0: Yeah, yeah somebody specifically said, and I'm sorry I don't have the quote in front of me, but they said this is where the. Dependent on uh, Blue Band Hork-Bajir, specifying that means that they're like insanely strong or skilled, right? Uh huh. It's like they went super, super Hork-Bajir Blue.
1: They did, and oh man, I'm I'm looking at Seropedia right now, seeing if uh, uh, there's anything else. I mean, there's a quote where they talking to Rachel Marco Graf. Who's like their leader? No, we we definitely haven't gotten to that yet. So I think the attack at the Horkbir Valley is their first instance.
0: Cool. Well, so the battle starts, and you know, at first they're like hiding and very camouflaged, and they're like, maybe we can avoid fighting. Maybe they'll just go home. And then they get spotted, and the battle like starts right away. And um, uh, Viser One shows up almost instantly. Uh, And he uses his classic battle morph from that from the first book.
1: Sorry, got to jump in here real quick just to immediately retcon what I just said. They were introduced in in book 45, The Revelation.
0: Oh, well, that was a recent one. And yeah, that had a lot of relevant plot updates. But you know what? We're we're taking notice of the blue bands now. And that's what's important. Um,
1: I, it's you it's know, about the blue bands we made along the way.
0: <laughs> I like um, I like the callback to Visor One using his his like let's call it his ultimate battle morph that he he displayed in the first book. Right, um, I'd like to think that maybe if we got an extended universe or extra book somewhere, we could have seen Visor One practicing his battle morphs ab- aboard. Maybe not the blade ship, but maybe like on a distant moon somewhere. Like that's where he goes to uh, practice and train his morphs. Right? That'd be so cool.
1: Yeah, no, that would be amazing. I, I think there was some mention of of some moon he used to do something like that on. I that's, can't remember. He which book he, that was he in. mentions picking up various battle morphs yeah. on certain. I know I elements. remember that, but I remember him talking about. Hunting or or doing something on a moon that wasn't just picking up a morph.
0: Yeah, it was. uh, It was. It was uh, finding that um, the dust cloud being from the first Megamorphs book. I think he specifically mentions that thing was rolling around a dusty moon or something. He should
1: have tried to morph that. That would have been hilarious. I think they said they couldn't do it because it was like literally multiple little. No, that's what I'm saying. He would have gotten diced up. It would have been. Would have been a good time.
0: Oh, well, save it for our review of Megamorphs number one. Don't, why don't you? <laughs> I've <already> done that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's cool is not only seeing this classic battle morph of Vizer 1, but Tobias and Jake both take him on, head on, one on one. Like, Tobias specifically has a death wish and flies straight into his eyes and starts going hog wild or hawk wild ah, on him. Uh, while Jake is, like, just, you know, trying to stay alive and giving Axe the order to flood the valley. Like, as soon as Visitor 1 shows up and goes into his big destructive pyromancer morph, uh, Jake's... Which is knows- cool
1: that we're we're reading this right after doing the graphic novel because we haven't seen that morph since the original book. It
0: made it so much more fresh in my mind. It really did. Yeah,
1: <laughs> definitely.
0: Good callback to our previous episode. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, as I said Jake's, you know, screaming to flood the Valleys, wondering if Axe is gonna do it It looks like he's about to die It's another one of those situations where Visor One is about to kill him And then, uh, the water The water comes and Deus Ex Machina's the whole thing uh, Thus proving That water was The real hero all along
1: <laughs> Water was really The friends we made along the way
0: <laughs> now you're relying on the same jokes
1: <laughs> That's the joke You um, must
0: be getting tired
1: No No, but it, The whole beaver sub subplot of this um, It shouldn't yeah. have been the focus <laughs> Which do you think came first? Do you think the the idea of flooding the valley As part of the battle uh, Was the plot they set up And then they came to beavers uh, as the morph of the book, or did they want the morph of the book to be beavers, and so they set up this elaborate, be you know c plot to, oh, to flood the valley.
0: That would be a really uh, interesting look at how the book was put together. I guess
1: which came first, um, the chicken or the beaver?
0: The be- the beaver plot or the the flooding the valley plot? Yeah. Um, I think maybe they had a list of animals that Scholastic approved as like, we want you to, you know, inform
1: kids about
0: the beavers,
1: right? Oh gosh, which, which animals did they not approve? Like Animorphs After Dark, like what, what was like, oh no, we can't have that in a book. You need a Serengeti gorilla. Oh, you want to, you want to know, buddy?
0: Should we make a list of all the animals that we never got to see in an Animorphs book? Like pig or llama or you know, snapping turtle, I, any it's we can name, animals, we can name tons of animals. Yeah. Um, but I would so, like to
1: know, like, honestly how they arrived at the animals for the book, like the main animal, of the book that they are going to put on the cover. Like, was that a cover artist decision? Was that Kay Applegate being like, Hey, really want to do a musk ox on the front of this one? Really Cause they,
0: they, they didn't want to show Jake morphing into Isaiah Fitz Henry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it wouldn't make sense story wise it would um, where did the sword come from where did you know this the civil war uniform <laughs> okay so oh, sorry never mind they introduced in this book that you can morph clothes now we're good there you go more floor hashtag more floor
0: um but but like I was saying water saves the day and then everyone just kind of regroups and assumes you know the the yrks are washed out of the valley um that problem's gone now <laughs> They do mention how you know the Yurks will be back uh, one way or another at some point in the future, and we need to vacate this area, right? You, you guys can stay on the fringe and kind of like hide out and lay low, and uh, the the Hork-Bajir are more or less like satisfied. You know, they they shot their shot, so to speak. They they took a stand and did their thing, and now they're like, well, no, we can no, we can just kind of you know do what's smart for us and move around a bit, (laughs) which is almost like a head slapping moment. Like really, you couldn't have just done us the solid of like moving out of the valley for a week or something. And, and I think a lot of people would point out that why didn't they just immediately go to the, uh, the chi, the, their hidden underground area and kind of set that up as a temporary bunker or shelter. Well, that wouldn't have
1: mattered that wouldn't matter to this anyway, because the whole point of the the Horkbajir is that they wanted to defend their land as free people. They they could have ran off and done a billion different things, but they they refused because they wanted to fight for their land. That was the whole point. Which I mean, that's oh, kind that's of
0: the subplot of yeah.
1: <laughs> well, no, no. So it's it's kind of a parallel to the townspeople of the of the B plot. Yeah. Um, but not even that. It's almost like they added the townspeople because they realized that this uh, story of racial division didn't have a tie to the Hork-Bajir Valley story. Well, so they added maybe the townspeople to be like, oh, we're fighting for our land.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it was very muddled for sure. They could have driven up, like I said, the differences between, you know, accepting a group of people and accepting a group of space aliens. But they didn't quite hammer that specific point home hard enough.
1: What would have been great is if... And I don't know how they would have done this with the uh, racial tension of the time, but with the Civil War plot, if the freed slaves were going to be offered like land in this town if they helped fight or something like that. Oh, that would have been... That would have been, been,
0: a, been, have been a, a good wrap-up for that story if we thought you know they all died it, in the conflict, but then we get one more chapter saying how they... Yeah, moved into the town and integrated.
1: But it, yeah, and it would have t- it would have tied it to the Horkberger Valley where they were actually fighting for their own land.
0: Oh, I like that. Let's rewrite this whole book. Let's rewrite the whole series. <laughs> okay, um, so we're basically at the end of the the book. I just want to uh, wrap things up here plot wise. Um, Basically, when, when they're all regrouping, Jake and, and Toby and, and the whole team, Tobias has to inform Jake that Richard died, right? That's where we find out, you know, he, he's, he's dead and gone. And his kids, Tobias specifically says, um, Emily and, and Lewis lost their father. That, that was like the result of this conflict. And I think that kind of speaks towards like what was really achieved in this whole conflict. Um, cause you could look at it as like, like we were saying, they wanted to take a stand and fight as free, uh, peoples, right? Um, really all that means though, is that they're opening themselves up to more potential civilian casualties. Uh, and, and Jake's little bit here that he wraps up, uh, with at the end, I'll, I'll tell you, cause he goes home. He just bails on this and, you know, he has more of a stark contrast between war leader Jake and kid at home Jake still. So he goes home and instead of like, you know, talking to his family and feeling some kind of connection or bond there, he goes down into the basement again and he, he goes through that that journal and he flips through the last pages and he reads, I think, you know, what what you and I read um, and he... he Feels I think overwhelmingly that uh, there's a message of hope here in all of this. Like we keep fighting these dumb fights because of hope. We hope that we will come out of these conflicts on top, right? And I'll just I'll I'll, I'll just read you this uh, last bit here on the page here real quick. Um, it's right after Jake Jake reads about uh, uh, his his former uh, ancestor's death. He says, I flipped to the last page of FitzHenry's journal. And then he reads, hooves trampling the dirt all around, screams and wails of bloody dying men, unending nightmare, cannot get a full breath, numbness spreading down my arm, vision blurring, growing narrow like a field glass, a darkening tunnel. Jay, honey, lunch is ready. Mom. I jumped. Mom's voice had startled me. Coming, Mom, I called. I'll be right there. You'd better be midget, Tommy yelled down the stairs, or I'll eat your burger. I looked at the diary's last words, where blood and rain had smeared the ink. I fear I am killed. I hope I have done my best. I hope. Those were the last legible words Fitzhenry had tried and lost. How would my last page read? How would my story end? I hope I have done my best yeah, I whispered, closing the book, me too. And if that is not so ominous and trying to prepare us for the actual end of the series, I don't know, you know what is that 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 is just like it's it's a pretty good uh, description overall of like what goes on in these books, right? <laughs>
1: well, I'll definitely give you that. This book felt more written for the end of the series than even the last book which the last book had big big things happen in it um but this one feels more pushing us to the to the end or really counting down to the end
0: yeah yeah it makes that point quite clear literally at one point
1: (laughs) well let's jump into the reviews uh after what happened i mean just happened to be the the longest summary we've ever done and you said it was so short.
0: I think you just feel that way, but okay.
1: <laughs> no, see, literally, because we only covered half the book in that summary. Uh, my little summary was super teeny tiny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, would you like to give your review first or shall I?
1: Uh, I can go first. That's fine. Um, yeah. So, man, I, I, I don't know if you got from the uh, my, my comments throughout this episode so far, but I didn't care for the Horkbajir Valley plot. I really thought there's just 15 different ways they could have made that more interesting um, and a bigger deal that the Horkbajir were losing their valley. I mean, the fact that they fought and then just left, and the fact that they brought these campers in, and um, you know, I, if they wanted to hit the beats of, of revealing their secret to more people and the Horkbajir losing their valley, I feel like both of those things could have been done. In a much grander scale and, and, and kind of a, a ramp up to this end of the series. I, I don't know. I just, I personally did not care a lot for how they handled that. Surprisingly, though, I actually really liked the Civil War story. I thought that's where the writer's heart was in this book. I feel like she really wanted to write a Civil War story and she managed to get it into this Animorphs series. Maybe she pitched that to Kay Applegate after the success of the, her first ghostwritten book with them. I'm not sure. Um, but I actually really liked the writing and the story of the Civil War B-plot. Um, but I did not care for how it tied into the main plot or or the main plot's progression in general. Um, so... Yeah, it's just really weird to come off with that, you know, because I'm here for the Animorphs. That's what I'm excited about, and especially for the end of the series. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I really just enjoyed the Civil War plot and just, you know, obviously I like where the stakes are now, where the the Hork-Badier are out of their valley and the yurks are progressing and stuff like that. But I didn't think it was done in a super exciting way. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so uh, for my number review, I'm going to give this... Uh let's say uh 3 out of 5 wet musket powders. There you go. Man, you're you're really
0: grasping for your uh review score uh icon or uh, whatever we want to call this. It's very on purpose. It's very on purpose. A be well, you could have said a beaver pelt.
1: I think. No, it was it was relevant to the plot. At one point, they their muskets got wet and they couldn't. It was, come on.
0: Oh, their muskets! I heard musk, and I assumed you meant like the beaver musk. Ah, no, weird.
1: like musket powder. Their wet musket powder.
0: Ah, okay. Well, then, very apt indeed, my friend. And yeah, uh, a good You're opinion reaching. all around. <laughs> um. Okay, so actually, I think we uh, we align a lot on, on our thoughts. I was hoping that you would actually be, like, really into this and way more excited. And I came out of this as the more excited one, which is... I didn't see that coming. So, <laughs> cool. I'll tell you my thoughts, though. Um, this book is ultimately about Jake's struggle to command... Uh, those who aren't his troops like this civilian involvement with these war efforts. Um, And one of the civilians even dies having joined the war efforts, but ultimately not fully understanding the situation and becoming a civilian casualty. I thought that was a super interesting concept that is kind of sort of uh, not fully fleshed out and well done here. It could have been done so much better. I really uh, took to the character of Richard when examined by uh, through this parent lens. Like, knowing that, oh my god, this guy's a dad with his kids and he's going to include them in the war? He's not getting them out of there? That hooked me as a parent, right? Uh, I'm just weird like that. I pay attention to the, like those kind of relationship deals. Um, so... This is also a book that's kind of important, somewhat, because of the Morflor update and because it moves the free Hork-Bajir closer to interacting with humans and the rest of civilized society and just being known by humans and humanity in general. So it also kind of flounders in this whole comparison between uh, human and Hork-Bajir and everything that we have in common. I feel like it kind of ham-fisted sort of comparing us. Um, I, I, I have a question and actually I'll pose this after my review or no, I'll pose it right now. You don't have to answer it. It can be a rhetorical one, (laughs) but do you think that, uh, things would have been different had Jake decided to give these people the morphing power? I know they probably didn't have the time to run back to Cassie's barn or wherever and get the morphing cube. And they didn't want to even open up that option for debate, but they could have armed their troops a little bit better in this situation. That that could be a whole discussion on its own. I think maybe... I
1: know... Sorry. I know we don't like interrupting each other's reviews, and... I don't typically that was pose a questions question. during a review,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: and that, I know you said that was rhetorical, but I think it would have actually been really interesting and would have said something about the Civil War B-plot if they had given them morphing ability but all the civilians died. But the only animal they could have morphed in time that they could have fought with were the hork who were in the valley. And so they would have had all these dead bodies and they would have buried them together because they wouldn't have known who was morphed and who wasn't.
0: Oh, that's a cool idea, Coleman. And even better than that, I really like the idea of the civilians getting caught up in the war and joining the army and literally morphing hork and, like, you know, joining them in that way. That would have been a really cool idea. Wow. Or, I'm, I'm, what?
1: You got or more? joining Hit me. them. Hold on. Or joining them, morphing Hork-Bajir. joining them in the fight, but the fight lasted so long and they were so pinned down, they couldn't morph back ah! in time for the two hour limit. Yeah! And so they literally had to join the hork bajir oh my god yeah
0: that would have been an awesome consequence oh boy
1: and would have tied in and would have tied into them being obsessed with aliens and all that they would have become aliens
0: okay so if they had done something like that they would have had to cut the isaiah stuff the the fitzhenry side
1: plot right yeah somewhat yeah
0: (laughs) okay yeah i think so and they could have done this one right i really like what we just came up with there um I'll, i'll finish my review This book reads kind of like a love letter, sort of, to humanity that's basically just trying to say, instead of looking at all of our differences and fighting all the time amongst ourselves, we should all just kind of learn to accept each other and our differences and get along and stop the needless death and this history of war and conflicts between people who are different. Um, I pointed out during the review how I, I kind of liked the similarity between Jake and Tobias, and their recruitment methods uh, and how that could be compared or juxtaposed to the Yerkes recruitment tactics um, but this is this is kind of a book that more or less states that the countdown has begun and it will be over it'll all be over very very soon um, it's an ominous warning for sure it's unfortunate that it just kind of fell in such a forgettable book I think this book poses a lot of smart questions and concepts and it tries to do these cool things, but it just kind of flounders it and and fumbles the ball here in the end. Um, So you're right, buddy. I'm 100% with you. I think as it stands, this version of this story is a three out of five
1: beaver dams. Wow. What do you think? Uh, Who's reaching now? For their review. Oh come on! I practiced that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm glad we line up because I I would have been weirdly weirded out if this was like you know our last book review where we were so opposed in our. Event. I
0: I was I hoping like this... you would give it the five and then I could ground us with that three.
1: But you know, no, I think I think this is straight straight down the middle. Just a just an Animorphs book, you know, just a good old you know read through and it's got its problems but uh <laughs> you know, they they turn to beavers
0: <laughs> they, they turn to beavers that's unfortunately anything anybody will remember from this book even though i i feel like it could be a representative of so much more it's the damn dumb beaver book all right there yeah, you go yeah which is
1: crazy to me cuz it, it is when they lose the horkpeter valley like that's that's been so prevalent throughout the whole series it's 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 weird that it goes out in such a whimper
0: they're going to be examining that, though, uh, throughout the rest of the books, and, and we'll get bits and snippets of, you know, oh, the hork moved into this abandoned house on the fringe of town, or whatever, you know, they'll, they'll keep moving them closer, but um, That being said, that concludes our reviews and ratings of this story, but stick around for this end show here because we're going to go through some Patreon supporters' uh, reviews and thoughts on the book. And if you don't mind, I'll just kind of wail away on those. We've only got uh, two to share uh, from our boys, Ben and Jeff, on the Patreon. You you mind uh, if I shoot this off real quick? Jump right into it. Okay, so Ben Freeman, uh, maybe I shouldn't use his last name. Ah, whatever. Our friend Ben says, um, so you don't like... I've never read this, by the way, so this is my first time reading it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just trying to figure out like how he wrote it because he put this in quotes. Uh, it looks like it's a-, a K. Applegate quote that he wrote. Um, so he says, so you don't like the way our little fictional war came out? You don't like... Oh, jeez, he goes into some spoilers here. All right, put your earmuffs on if you don't want spoilers. You don't like Rachel dead and Tobias shattered and Jake guilt-ridden? You don't like that one war simply led to another? Fine. Pretty soon, you'll all be of voting age and of draft age. So when someone proposes a war, remember that even the most necessary wars, even the rare wars where the lines of good and evil are clear and clean, end with a lot of people dead, a lot of people crippled, and a lot of orphans, widows, and grieving parents. If you're mad at me because that's what you have to take away from Animorphs, too bad. I couldn't have written it any other way and remain true to the respect I have always felt for Animorphs readers." He signed this K.A. Applegate, so this is obviously his interpretation of what K.A. meant uh, when this Well, no, no, is no,
1: no, 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 no. This is a very well-known quote from K.A. Applegate. She wrote oh. a letter at the end oh, of the series. Oh, is that what it is? Thank
0: you for the clarity. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'm sorry, he goes on to say, I can't remember if you guys read the note on air, but this came out right before 9-11. So yeah, that seems pretty relevant now. Interesting. And oh, then yeah. he, he included a link, which I'm sorry, Ben, I didn't click on it in time. I just asked you for your thoughts and then started doing this episode. So cool. I like that so much more now that I know it's uh it's, it's a real quote from K.A.
1: Nice. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's a quote that I've never fully agreed with. I mean, I, I like that she showed real war in the end of the series but some of it is excusing. Like the idea that war sometimes just leads to more war. She could have shown that at the end of the series without a cliffhanger ending. You know, that's that's really why people got upset by the ending is because it, it leaves off in a cliffhanger. I mean, it's, it's that simple.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not very narratively fulfilling, I will say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's been a source of contention for a lot of fans is how the series was left off. Um, and I think as the creators, as the authors of the series, this happened, you know, a good couple of decades ago, a decade or so, (laughs) and now they probably have different feelings on how they would want to approach a ending to this series or story. So it'll all be
1: fine if they just continue the series. That's it. (laughs) New writers. I don't care what it takes. Just, you know, let's, let's, let's do it. Jump in.
0: Here's what Jeff has to say. Jeff, uh, says some notes on the resistance. What is it with Jake's mom at the very beginning? Jake, where the hell have you been? I know your best friend was just violently murdered, but you've got to do some chores. We need to renovate the basement immediately so you and your surviving friends can hang out there. Make sure you close all the windows I left open right before a storm for no explicable reason. I'll be home in about 40 seconds, <laughs> which, which was a, a very small point in the plot. Um, (laughs) do you think sergeant spears is a distant ancestor of britney spears he is shown for the first time the page after marco makes a britney spears reference he is described as statuesque with a husky voice and stands above the other soldiers as if on a stage gotta be intentional right i didn't these are the
1: these are the kind of hard point connections that they made Between the Animorphs world in this book and the Civil War. You know, (laughs) got to get that Britney Spears loop in.
0: Well, it's pop culture. It's for the kids. Kids love it. (laughs) So he he goes on. Did Visor 3 run out of morphs or something? Is this the first time he reuses a morph? Why not morph a cat? (laughs) And and I like that suggestion. Uh, But... I think it was kind of cool seeing him use this and kind of establishing it as the new Vizzer 1 go-to battle morph, right? Our main team has their battle morphs. Why can't he have one?
1: Yeah, I mean, Vizzer, Vizzer 3's morphs have always been kind of all over the place. And I feel like sometimes they've been like variations of themselves. Like He has other morphs that are like multi-headed and stuff. Um, the, the two that really stand out to me are this one, and the one he used in David's room in book 20, where it was like a pile driver with like traffic cones for hands that he like shot out and like was destroying walls with. For some reason, those are the two I remember the most. <laughs> I don't um,
0: remember that one now that you're talking about
1: it. Um, yeah, but he doesn't have like all his morphs are kind of kind of random. Uh, so I like that they brought this one back. I think was cool that it establishes more.
0: Yeah, they're oddly situational, aren't they?
1: Yeah, just a giant fight. Mean, has he ever brought the morph back that he ate um, Elfangor with? Have we ever seen that one again? Well, I
0: kind of thought that that was this one. He ate Elfangor with it, and then he no, also used it Because that at one the was end. a
1: big mouth. That one was like a big mouth. It was almost like a giant taxon, almost, or something. Whereas this is the one he used in the Pool when he was shooting fireballs at everybody.
0: Oh, I'll have to go back and look at the graphic novel to see if the, the, what the real you know, differences are between those, because I was under the impression yeah. they were the same.
1: Oopsie. No, I don't think so. Thank you, Chris Grind, for having a uh, visual reference we can now go back to and check.
0: Yeah, um, one, one friend, friend
1: of the show, Chris Kine. Friend,
0: friend of the show. Hashtag friend of the show, Chris Gine. Slash
1: um, co-host.
0: I, uh, I'll read uh, just his last bit, his, his, his summary, if you will. He says, I would give this book three and a half out of five Oh 2s That was his thing. Uh, I enjoyed how the narrative was split between Jake and Fitzhenry, and I enjoyed the parallels demonstrated between their lives. I also enjoyed the run-in with the Trekkie Trek, even if it got a little on the nose by the end. My main gripe is that this book is describing an event that is extremely important in the Animorphs canon. The Horkwajir Valley is revealed and enters a state of open revolt, and the Animorphs reveal their secret to nerds who will inevitably post it online, etc., and yet the book spends very little time describing that event or discussing the potential fallout. I wish the Fitzhenry Diary had been used in a filler book instead. I recognize that this wasn't so much a mini-review or of a review, so please don't feel obligated to read the whole thing. And I just did, you beautiful boy, you. So... Uh, yeah, he brings up a great point. I, I feel like uh, we're in agreement that this book had some cool concepts, but it, well, it didn't he did quite bring deliver. up a good
1: point. He did bring up a good point until he used a half review, which is a restricted uh, you know usage on this podcast. We don't do half reviews,
0: okay? Our, but our, I your would your chaos around here. I would just say that I would add an asterisk to that. And, and for all intents and purposes, we call this a three book. But the the point 0.5 denotes that there is something just a little extra special about this okay. one. It could have been.
1: Michelle, so Maybe. if you, if we allowed 0.5s uh, in this we're podcast. Not. I'm not I know we're not, not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not doing them. But I'm saying if we did do 0.5s for this book, would you do a 3.5 or a 2.5?
0: Oh, a 3.5. I think I think it's it adds to it what it could have had, right? Even if it's not
1: there, it could have had I it. If we did .5s, I would have done a 2.5.
0: It would have had to have been a different book. Like like we're saying, cut out that Fitzhenry plot and focus more on the the meat of the story being the recruitment of these new uh, cadets to the war. Sure. Like, that's interesting, okay? So uh, that, that's the thoughts of our Patreon supporters. Uh, I really want to read more of these things in future shows. So please sign up for the Patreon and continue to interact with us in that capacity. And we're going to have so much more fun. Um, so that's our review here of Animorphs number 47, The Resistance. What did you guys think? Is this book as forgettable as we're saying it is? Uh, do you see the hidden potential? Um, what other kinds of stories would you like to see pop out of these concepts? Hit us with a with a hashtag. I want that book. You know, that's what we want to hear. That's what we want to interact with you guys, and that's what we want to talk about with the the remainder of this podcast. As I say, we're entering the top ten. This is ten. Like next one's nine. We're we're going down. It's countable. Unfortunately. It's quantifiable.
1: Unfortunately, the next one uh, isn't relevant to the end of the series whatsoever. Um, I'm actually Spoilers. looking forward to reading it again. No, we always talk about the next book, huh? <laughs> <laughs> At the end. The I, don't, I don't have it in uh, front
0: of me. I don't know what it is.
1: Well, it is. Uh, it's going to be book number 48, The Return. Uh, oh, which yeah! Is the Return of David, which we talked about oh, in, yeah! our, in our return. Oh, yeah! Awesome. Well,
0: okay, now that you mentioned that, I'm excited because I recall, uh, oh, well, I don't want to spoil it here, but I had feelings on this book.
1: I I'm just going to say I liked this book, but I know a lot of people hate it. So it's going to be an interesting episode to reread it and see. Oh,
0: okay, fine. Then I'll just say that I was one that hated it. Okay, I hope my feelings (laughs) change. I I really do. I want to have some really good discussion on how it's handled, because this is such an important character. And if you didn't know that David returned. Yeah, there's a book on it. And we're about to talk about it next time on Thoughtspeak.
1: Well, that's all we got for this week. Uh, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ThoughtSpeakCast. Uh, also, jump onto iTunes or whatever podcast player you use and leave us a review. If you don't feel like uh, supporting us financially or if you're not able to do that, that's totally fine. But leaving us a review uh, on whatever player you listen to or on iTunes really helps out the show and gets us into more ears. Uh, you can also check us out on Reddit at randmorphs. We tend to post on there and chat on there a little bit. Or on Twitter at MorphCast, uh, where we talk quite a bit. And we also have a Facebook group if you want to check us out there. Just facebook.com slash thoughtspeak. Anyway, we will see you next week. And by next week, I mean whenever the next podcast comes out. So look forward to that then.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. Well, until then, I am your host, Michelle.
1: And I'm Coleman. And we'll see you next time.